Christmas music. St. Patrick's Day, Cinco de Mayo, Labor Day. Come on, some of you. I mean, I have friends. This thing is running all year long. Well, what instead of listening to Christmas music, what if you could write some Christmas music? And maybe more specifically, what if you could write a Christmas carol about God? What would you include in a Christmas carol that you wrote about God? Would there be hope? How about peace? Some love? Some joy? Those sound like good things to put into a Christmas carol. Would you put any of these things in your Christmas carol? He that dwelleth in heaven shall laugh them to scorn. The Lord shall have them in derision. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. I don't know, it might be strange if Brad stood up one Sunday and said, please stand as we sing, dash them to pieces. Join together. Come on, let's go. And yet, when George Friedrich Handel sat down to write a song about the Messiah, the same Messiah that was born in the manger, those are some of the words that he included to bring attention to the authority of God. Habakkuk was having a hard time in life. His country was falling apart. And he was praying to God saying, where is your authority? Why aren't you using your authority to to deal with this lawlessness? Why aren't you using your authority to, to do something just? God, please, please do something. And God said, okay, I'll use my authority. I'm going to send a wicked people to take over your country. (laughs) Now, if you're Habakkuk, you have to be thinking, uh, that's not the answer I was looking for. In fact, God, that's, that's kind of the opposite of what I was looking for. But God began to talk to Habakkuk. And, and he let him know, hey, remember who you're praying to. You're praying to the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, the great I am. And that is exactly what Habakkuk needed. He needed to hear, he needed to remember that God is God and there is no other. That is what his heart needed the most. Listen, whatever you think you may need, whatever you feel like you need, whatever financial thing or emotional thing or political thing or social thing, whatever it is, whatever holiday thing, whatever it is that you think you need or you feel that you need, I promise every single one of us need in the deepest part of our hearts exactly what Habakkuk got. A message and a reminder that God is God and there is no other. So, he hears that from God. He gets that message. And his response to hearing that was to write a Christmas carol. Well, kind of. He, he wrote a, a prayerful song. And what does his song say? Well, let's find out. Listen to Habakkuk chapter 3, beginning with verse 1 and into verse 2. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to the Sijanoth. Lord, I have heard the report about you, and I fear. Well, 
I know what you're wondering. What in the world is a Shijanoff? Well, it's not a new flavor of latte at Starbucks. A little, a little something different. It, it seems to be a type of prayer that's marked with comfort, excitement, and victory. <laughs> All right, none of that fits this moment, okay? Habakkuk just heard that his country was going to be taken over, that his nation was going to be conquered. It seems absolutely ludicrous and crazy that he would write a song about exciting victory. But he isn't going crazy. In fact, for the first time in this conversation with God, he's starting to get it. He's starting to to understand. You see, he heard the report about God. He, He heard the story about God. And his mind and his heart, they heard the story of God, and he went, I do fear. I I do stand in awe. I do remind my heart now that you alone are God. You have no rival. You have no equal. God, there is no one beside you. And when that hits his mind, it hits his heart, and his heart breaks out into a song of victory. See, he can write a song of victory because he remembers that no matter what happens, God is good, and God is just, and God is right, always and forever. And he can write an exciting song of victory because no matter what happens, he knows that he belongs to God. So, Do you have that confidence? Do you know that you belong to God? When the storm comes, when the loss of a job comes, when financial struggles come, when family difficulties come, when difficult news from the doctor comes, when death comes, do you have the confidence to say with Habakkuk and the Apostle Paul and so many others, thanks be to God. In the hard moment, in the difficult moment, when it sounds like your prayer is not being answered, do you have the confidence to say, thanks be to God. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name. Do you have the confidence to say in any moment, I am His and He is mine? The confidence to say to anyone, you know what, it may look like I'm defeated, but I have victory in Jesus. Jesus, the the same Jesus born in the manger, the same Jesus that was crucified on a cross, the same Jesus that rose from the grave, the same Jesus that ascended into heaven, the same Jesus that is coming again, the same Jesus that loved you and gave himself up for you. Do you have confidence in him? Do you have confidence in the authority of God in Jesus Christ? can. You just have to remember the words of Jesus. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's at hand. Repent and cling to. 
believe in, rely on, trust in Jesus first and most. And by his grace, he will give you the confidence that he is God and there is no other. Habakkuk continues to sing. Listen to verse 2. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. It's interesting. He doesn't say revive me, Lord. He says revive your work. God, do the stuff that you do. Do that again. See, what he's doing is he's, again, listening to the report of God. He's hearing what God said to him. He's remembering what God said to him. And as he gets that report, he's remembering, oh, yeah, I forgot. This is who God was. This is who God is. This is who God will be forever and ever and ever and ever. Forty years ago in an interview with Parade Magazine, Billy Graham reminded the country that America is not God's only kingdom. See, what Habakkuk's doing is he's not just thinking about what's happening in his country. He's not just thinking about what's happening in his nation. He's stepping back. He's seeing the bigger picture of who God is what God has done and what God is going to do. The definition, the character of God. He's going to start singing about what God's done in the past. He's going to sing about what God's doing in the present. He's going to sing about what God's doing in the future. He's going to sing about what God has done. He's going to sing about what God is doing right now. And he's going to sing about what God is going to do. But before he sings about those things... He sings something that sounds absolutely crazy. Listen to the last part of verse 2. In wrath, remember mercy. Wrath and mercy. I mean, those sound like they go together like orange juice and toothpaste. They sound like they go together like a bowl of frosted flakes with water poured over it. They don't sound like they go together at all. How in the world can these things be together? You, you have one... Wrath, it means you get what you deserve. And then you have mercy, you get what you don't deserve. How how do those two things meet? For about 40 years, another prophet, Jeremiah, had been calling God's people to repentance. And God's people kept going to church. They didn't stop. They didn't miss a Sunday. But they refused to repent. They, They just wouldn't do it. And so now in this moment with Habakkuk, God's saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to deal with the rebellion of my people. I'm going to deal with their unwillingness to repent. And he says, the way I'm going to deal with it is the Chaldeans are coming to take over. And that's the message I want you to give them. Well, how about that? Bless his heart. Can you imagine? Every Sunday, that was Habakkuk's sermon. By the way, some wicked people are coming to take over and, you know, we need to repent. I mean, I'm thinking after one Sunday, people were going to be tired of hearing that sermon, right? Well, like me or not, I will continue to repeat what I've said the last few weeks. And I pray that your heart can hear it. Praise God that we live in 2020. Praise God that we live in 2020. 
This is our time. We're not accidentally here. This is our time to make a difference in our families. This is our time to make a difference in the church. This is our time to make a difference in the community, to make a difference in our country, and make a difference in the world. Friend, this is our time. This is our time. Praise God for this time. So how can you make a difference? How can you make a difference? Well, about 700 years before Jesus was born, God gave us instructions for what we're supposed to do in 2020. That wasn't just for 700 BC, it was for 2020 AD. You see, there was this guy named Micah. And Micah grew up in a farming community out in the country, a community a lot like some of you grew up in. A community a lot like two communities that I've pastored in in Allander, North Carolina, and, and Ridge Spring, South Carolina. Country towns. Simple, loving, fantastic people. Michael was just a country boy. He was a, a country boy, and God gave him a message. God gave him a message, and he said, I want you to go give this message to anybody who professes to follow after me. In other words, this was a message for people who said, hey, I'm a Christian and I'm going to heaven when I die. This, this was a message for people who professed to be followers of God. And what was the message that God gave Micah to give to people past, present, future, including us today? Well, Micah's message goes like this. It's from Micah 6, 8. God told Micah, just ask the question, what does the Lord require of you? What does God want you to do? And then he said, Micah, give him this answer. To do justly, to love mercy, to humble themselves, and to walk humbly with God. This is our time to make a difference in the world. This is our time to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with with our God. That is how we make a difference. Those are the instructions from God. This is our time to stand firm in our faith and keep making a big deal out of the good news of Jesus Christ. Not just at Christmas, but all year long. This is our time to stand firm in our faith and not manipulate the gospel to try to match our social opinions or our politics. No, this is our time to take the light of the gospel and shine that light into the darkness of social opinion, into the darkness of social media, into the darkness of politics, into all the darkness of the world. We have the light. Christian, we have the light. Christian, we have the light. We have the light. Praise God, we have the light. Praise God, we have a, a message of, of good news, of great joy. But it's a message that kind of begins like this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, Habakkuk, he had, a, he had a tough message. It was a message that people were not going to like. 
which is probably why he graciously says, um, God, could you bring some mercy into the middle of this wrath? Somebody once said, it's almost like what, my, what Habakkuk's saying is this. He said, Lord, thy will be done. Get it over with as quickly as possible. You know, come on, God, let's, let's make this thing happen. I think probably the reason he prays for mercy, though, is because he had received mercy. He understood mercy. God had given him mercy. In other words, there was never a day of Habakkuk's life that he woke up, and I'll make it modern, and put on a mask or didn't put on a mask. There was never a day that he didn't wake up and say, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once didn't have mercy, but now I've received the mercy of God. And that changes every moment. Every moment. Habakkuk's message was going to be hard. It was going to be strong. It was going to be condemning. It was going to be a demand to respond. The wrath of God was coming. And people needed to repent. Now, don't be confused. Yes, the wicked Chaldean people needed to repent. But the message was primarily going to God's people. God's people needed to repent. Quick multiple choice. Just just a real fast one today. Here are your options. A, frustration over restrictions. B, fear over viruses. C, anger over politics. D, repentance over personal sin. Let me do those again real quick. A, frustration over restrictions. B, fear over viruses. C, anger over politics. D, repentance over personal sin. Which one are we hearing the most from professing Christians in 2020? I mean, really. I mean, I, I talk to a lot of professing Christians. I follow a lot of professing Christians on social media. I listen to a lot of different sermons from a lot of different churches all over the world every week. I got to be honest, I'm not hearing a lot of repentance from God's people. I'm not hearing a lot of repentance over personal sin from God's people. God's people are where they are in this scene, in this moment, because they ignored Jeremiah for 40 years. Even if we just go back to Billy Graham's comment from 40 years ago, America is not God's only kingdom. We have to step back and say, what is God doing in the universe? Because when we connect to that, we'll find the fuel, the energy, and the answers we need to be the very best Christian Americans we can be. But if we don't step back, then we'll miss the message from God. We'll miss it. Andrew Bonner and Robert Murray Machane were two faithful Scottish preachers during the 1800s. They met together one Monday, as the story goes, and they were talking about the sermon from the previous day, and Bonner asked McShane, hey, what'd you preach on yesterday? McShane said, well, I preached on hell. And Bonner said, did you preach it tenderly? The message is hard, but, but our voices are not supposed to be hard. We're supposed to speak the truth, but 
We're supposed to speak the truth with love. That's not easy, but it's doable. It's doable. Habakkuk asked for mercy in the middle of wrath. And God answered his prayer. Isn't that exciting? He said, God, would you give mercy in the middle of your wrath? And God answered his prayer. Isn't it fun when you you pray to God and you see an answer to prayer? Well, he prayed and never saw the answer to his prayer. Because the ultimate answer to his prayer didn't come for 600 more years. Are, Are you willing to live and pray today for the good of 2070? Are you willing today to live for Jesus in such a way that it makes a difference in 3070? Or whenever the time is until Jesus tarries? Are we willing today to pray that God's will would be done even if we don't see our prayer answered in the way we want it answered? So how did Habakkuk's prayer get answered? Well, 600 years later, in a little town called Bethlehem, God answered his prayer. You see, God, in bringing Jesus into the world, made sure that Jesus got from Bethlehem to a place called Calvary, outside of Jerusalem. And on Calvary, God brought justice and mercy together. The just penalty of sin and evil and wickedness in 25 B.C. and 2020 A.D., The just penalty for sin and evil and wickedness was met with the mercy of God in and through Jesus. Through the wonderful cross, God answered Habakkuk's prayer. Mercy came running. God displayed his mercy in the midst of wrath through the beautiful Prince of Peace. And it's interesting. God is still showing that same mercy today. He still is. He's still saving. He's still rescuing. He's still redeeming. Habakkuk's singing about it. And now he's going to look back a little bit to some of those past things. Look at verse 3. God comes from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covers the heavens, and the earth is full of his praise. This is the part of the song where Habakkuk's reflecting back on what God's already done for his people. But his purpose in looking back was to help in the here and now and the yet to come. He's wanting us and wanting his own heart and wanting his hearers to know, look, we can look back and see what God's done and that'll help us right now and it'll help us in the future as well. You see, when we come here, we don't come to sing songs about us. We don't show up on campus just to meet and greet and find out how people have been during the week. We don't log in on a Zoom Sunday school class just to see people's faces on the screen. We don't stream the the live service just to see who else jumps in and and comments and says good morning. Those things are all good and they're great and they're helpful, but, but we gather, we meet to sing songs about the one who has no rival, 
the one who has no equal, the name above all other names. We come to sing and worship and praise God. We meet together to greet our Redeemer. We gather together to see and remember and discover more and more about the only one who is holy, holy, holy. See, we're not here for us. We're here because we need God. And God is gracious to remind us that His glory fills the earth. Right, think about the coolest, nicest person you've ever known. I, I mean, I got, I got two in my mind right now. RA leader and GA leader in my church when I was growing up. Two of the godliest people I've ever known. Guess what? Their glory never filled the earth. The nicest, coolest, most godly people that you know, their glory will never fill and has never filled the earth. But the glory of God, no one else in creation, but the glory of God fills the earth. That's why we praise Him and not us. Habakkuk's just trying to help his heart say, Oh, God, please help me fix my eyes on you. And then notice in the middle of all this, he throws in a word there, Selah. What does that mean? Well, sometimes on Sunday morning when, when Brad and Sherry are practicing, Brad will turn to, to Sherry and he'll say, Selah. And they both, you know, practice together. They go, la, 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 la. Now, I made that up. That's not true at all, okay? No, Selah, by definition, means to, to pause. It means just to, just to take a moment. To take a moment and remember what you just heard prayed. Or remember what you just prayed. To pause and, and to take a moment what you just heard in the sermon or, or what you just sang in a song. It means to, to pause and it means to stop. And, and what Habakkuk's doing is he's trying to remember something that God has done in the past as a moment to pause about. And, and so what is that? Well, God, the Holy One, calls him, rescued Egypt. He went to Egypt, chose a people, and rescued them out of their slavery and set them free. Selah. Just, just pause on that for a moment. Of all of the world, God goes to Egypt. He chooses a people that are slaves. They were not cool people. They had not been to the best schools. They were not from great families. Everything about them was not great. They were slaves. God chose them. He rescued them. He freed them. Selah. Here's what that sounds like to us today if we were to modernize it a little bit. For God so dearly loved and dearly prized the world that he gave his only Selah. Pause. Stop. Wait a minute. Don't, don't run to the next part. Just, just stay there and marinate for a second. God gave His Son. He gave His Son. God, according to Scripture, crushed His own Son to deal with the just and right and necessary penalty of sin. That, that's stunning. This is what God's done. 
because of his great love, God gave his son for you. Not because you're a hardworking man, not because you're a nice woman, not because your grades are okay. No, without Christ, we are dead in our sins and our trespasses. And yet, in that moment, when we're dead in our trespasses, for no reason at all, God has no reason to rescue sinful, selfish people like us, but he does, and he did, because of his great love. Selah. Because of his great love. And then after you've selahed for a moment, you go on with the rest. Because God so dearly loved and dearly prized the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in his son, whoever trusts in his son, whoever clings to his son, shall not perish, but rather will have everlasting life because of God's great love. That's what Habakkuk's doing. He's remembering that that the Holy One saved, rescued, and redeemed in the past. And he's remembering 700 years before Jesus was born, in his lifetime, God was still saving, redeeming, and rescuing. And he's reminding us that this year, And for the rest of eternity, until Jesus returns, God will be saving, rescuing, and redeeming. It is what he does. Habakkuk's reminding his heart of that. He's he's singing it, and he keeps singing. Listen to verse 4. His radiance is like the sunlight. He has rays flashing from his hand, and there is the hiding of his power. You know, there's local stars, local celebrities, and there's international stars, international celebrities. Now, a local star, you know, around here, people will will recognize them, you know, see who they are. But if they go to another state or another community or another country, people may not recognize them as a star or a celebrity. Now, international stars are different, though. They can go go anywhere in the world, and generally speaking, people will recognize them. They'll, They'll see who they are. And why would they recognize them? Well, because of something they do, right? Either they're a, a TV star or a movie star or a political star or a sports star. I mean, there's, there's some aspect of something that they do that everybody knows who they are. I saw an article a few years ago that was talking about um, stars who have no talent. It was great. It was really funny because there are people who, who are famous for absolutely no reason. You know, they, they don't have a talent or a skill. You know, they're, they're just on TikTok. You know, that's it. You know, they're just on TikTok, you know. And, and in case you don't know this, TikTok is actually a complete waste of time. I, I don't know if you know this, but, but remember, the name is TikTok. In other words, they're telling you with their name, we are slowly disintegrating your brain every time you watch. I'm just kidding, TikTokers. Kind of kidding. Make no mistake, though. God, he's got talent. And his talent isn't local only. And his talent isn't international only. The whole universe is clear on the talent of God. The whole universe is full of his glory. 
If the churches shut down in America, I promise you the rocks will cry out. God's glory will never not be known in the universe. And what a privilege we have today to lift our voices in song and prayer in hearing for the glory of God. Let us never underestimate that privilege. The glory of God fills the earth. He's not just famous for what he can do. He's famous because of who he is. About 3,400 years ago, Moses was up on a place called Mount Sinai. And the lightning was crazy. It was flashing all around him, revealing the power and the presence of God. And when he came down off the mountain, the people were looking at him. And they're like, whoa, Moses, what happened to your face? Because it, it was lit up. It, it was shining in a way they had never seen. Why? Because he had been in the presence of God. The whole earth is full of God's glory. Back, I keep singing, verse 5. He stood and he surveyed, I'm sorry, before him goes pestilence and plague comes after him. He stood, verse 6, and surveyed the earth. He looked and startled the nations. Yes, the perpetual mountains were shattered. The ancient hills collapsed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Kushan under distress. The tent curtains of the land of Midian were trembling. Again, about 3,400 years ago, God displayed his authority and his power over the nation of Egypt. God supernaturally controlled weather and animals and viruses and plagues. God had supernatural authority over those things. And the leader of the nation, Pharaoh, he felt like he was the end-all of all end-alls, that he didn't answer to anybody. He set himself up as the most powerful, as if his glory filled the whole earth, but it didn't. And yet God used that sinful, arrogant, pompous, wicked, misguided man to perfectly accomplish his sovereign plans. That's what God did. Egypt, they saw God's power. They saw it. And not just Egypt. A bunch of people intent from far away, they, they saw it too. They, they, they saw these things happen. They saw God do supernatural things that were unexplainable, and it caused them to tremble. Why? They could not get over what God would do to save those slaves. Friend, we need to tremble more. Not at the election. Not at a virus not at any of our health or, or financial issues. All those things are real. But if we're going to profess to be Christians, we need to tremble more when we look at the cross and we see what God has done. The, the unexplainable, supernatural authority of God through Jesus to rescue us from sin. We need to tremble more. 
just like God told Habakkuk, the Chaldeans eventually did come and take over. And during their reign, there were three guys that had a little trouble with the Chaldean king. See, the king had had said that there were going to be some idols that needed to be worshipped. I had to bow down and worship some idols. They could not just worship the one true living God. And these guys are like, yeah, sorry, we can't do that. We can only worship the one true living God. It, it wasn't, you know, a random tax law, okay? He said, I need you out bowing down before this idol. And they said, nah, nah, we can't do that. So they were arrested and they were sentenced to death. And they were going to be killed, executed in a fiery furnace. The the furnace was so hot that the guys that took them to go into the furnace, the flames and the heat came out and killed them before they got the guys even in the furnace. That's how hot it was. But the grace and mercy of God saved those three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were their names. God's mercy saved them. But what if he didn't? What if the story was different? What if those guys died? What if, what if they were burned up at the same time that those soldiers were burned up? Or what if they got into the furnace and, and they were burned up immediately? But what if they had died? Well, they thought about that in the past. They thought about what God had done in the past, and so they were prepared for the present. They were prepared for the plague and the virus and the fiery furnace. They they were prepared because of who God was in the past. They were prepared in the present to deal with the future. And this is what those three guys said to the Chaldean king. Daniel chapter 3. Our God will deliver us out of your hand. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. In 1940, British troops were surrounded by German forces at Dunkirk. A British naval officer sent a distress signal back to London, and the signal had only three words. I was reading something interesting this week that I'll just make quick note of. In normal settings today, no one would understand this distress signal. And I would say, sadly, many in the church would not understand this distress signal. So, praise God and mercy to the British people of 1940 that they knew enough about the Bible to read a coded message. The three words that were contained in that distress signal were this. But if not. That's all the message said. We might defeat and survive the Germans. But if not. We might defeat and survive the Chaldeans. But if not. We might defeat and survive the furnace, but if not. We might defeat and survive 2020, but if not. 
we might defeat and survive the absolute worst circumstance that happens in our home, in our family, in our church, in our community, in our heart, in our mind, in our country, in the world. But if not. But if not. If everything goes to hell in a handbasket, we will still have the mercy of the bells. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. And they pealed louder and deeper. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong will fail, and the right will eternally prevail because Jesus was born in a manger to bring peace on earth, goodwill to men. Do you have that confidence? If so, then come and worship. Come and worship. Worship Christ, the newborn King.